When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want to know where I am? Are you interested? I am because we just kind of logged on to Zoom just before we hit record. Yep. And you actually said, you're always in the same place. You are literally every Zoom conversation. I've, I, I think without exception, I can't think of an exception. I know. it's, um, it's Even true. when we were doing these podcasts like face to face, I was mentally sort of looking at you and mapping in the bookshelves behind <laughs> you because that's the only way I understand <laughs> It's possible to speak to you. <laughs> it's fine. It's, and, and we just had we had guests over today, uh, briefly, and one of them was like, "Oh, this is the room," because <laughs> oh, they, really? they had a two D representation of me, and it was a friend who I zoom with occasionally, and oh, they were like, okay. "Oh," because they, they always imagine what the rest of the room looks like. Yeah, I well, I had a bit of that moment when you invited me into yeah, your house, yeah. like whenever it was back in in June, and I kind of. You're right. It's a bit like walking into a tele. Well, it's like walking into a television studio. Yeah. And like, oh, it's bigger or smaller than I imagined yeah. it, or whatever. It's yeah. three dimensional. It's three dimensional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm here. Oh, I'm that's sick. disappointing. I thought you were going to say I had some. We had some friends over, and they were big fans of Never Stra- No, that wouldn't work. Uh, no, because obviously you, they're you not know, seeing you, the Zoom. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, you I, know I what, what happened because it was. Uh, Mickle, my partner in Chapter 3, and his son, who's here for a few days. I've met his son. I've Albert, met his son. Albert's Albert. a phenomenal human being. He's a, he's, he's, a yeah. he's a bit like his dad. He's a, he's a mathematician. He's a super coder. He's, we introduced him to darts in a London pub a couple of right. years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Albert's, uh, he's, uh, he does, he was going to go to Ber- Berkeley, Berkeley in the US. How do you pronounce that university? Berkeley. 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 He was going to go to sorority in Berkeley sorority on a Fulbright like study or like something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So he does, he's a super coder and a very, even he walked into the house since first time my wife met him yeah. and said, and he walked in and said, oh my God, he's so well brought up. Yeah. He's incredibly well-mannered. Yeah. He's well-mannered. Even playing darts, he was well-mannered. Ah, oh, he's just a, he's a beautiful human being. Yeah. And but uh, so he was here and he doesn't really know much about me and I did that classic thing which you must have Ned where occasionally you want to give somebody a book but you get insecure about it about giving mm-hmm. one of your books from your bookshelf about you to somebody because it's basically it's the most yeah. narcissistic thing you can do in the world. Oh, uh, right, yeah, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah, actually, because he saw, oh, there's your book, and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, do do you want a copy of my book? <laughs> No, nah, that's weird. Yeah. That's and weird. Was... That's a bit like saying, do you want a picture with me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was completely, um, yeah. Flummoxed. So what happened? Did you, did you just give him another book instead? No, because or... I said, actually, you know what? Uh, I got two hard copies here somewhere. One of the, yeah. one of the races to the dark, the first edition mm-hmm. and one of the race of first edition. I'll dig those out and, and I pulled both of them out and I, and they're the last two I have. And each of them had dedications in them. That I'd made mistakes and kept. Oh, that's brilliant. 
So oh, but got, that would be incredibly valuable in years yeah, to come, won't it? Yeah. So there's Maybe. got um yeah, yeah no not so anyway so that was my um that was my in evening. your publishing career David did you have you had phenomenal success with your first book didn't you with racing through the dark yeah you were nominated for a William Hill Prize yeah Is I got right? robbed yeah that's um, very hard to win that it's very very hard to win that I know I've never even been, I've never even been nominated but then yeah. again as Daniel yeah. Freeb has often said my books are whimsical yeah so so that's fair enough but that's but no yeah. yeah. I, you had a, you had huge success with that book. Well, I, did, I I kind of looked back on that and I was explaining to him because I, I credited Jeremy Whittle because Jeremy Whittle was my um, mentor through it. Yeah, and and I because I'm such was well, you see my I'm such a, a lover of books. Uh, I didn't want to because everyone said you should write this yourself, so I wrote it myself, but I couldn't do it on my own. And Jeremy Whittle held my hand through it, and for the first part, and I spent I signed a deal, then I spent two years so, till I started writing it. Mm. And with Jeremy Whittle, he we worked together to do the book proposal, which you know is quite a big project in itself. Yeah. And then we when we started writing, I'd fire things across, and I was very it was very interactive, it was old school, like a word doc. Send it across, he'd send it back. And for the first bit, and I did it one off season between 2010 and 2011. So in my winter, I wrote 140,000 words. So oh, that's uh, too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so it was too much. But the first 40,000, I was kind of going back and forth with Jeremy and he's holding my hand and, and kind of giving me. And then I didn't need anything for the last, um, uh, well, 140, 60, and the, the next uh, 80,000 words I just wrote. Mm. And mm. then I, I was editing down massively. Ian Priest, you know, uh, Ian, yeah. Ian Priest, yeah. who was editing, was a fantastic, and he edited everything down. Mm. And... It got to the end and it was, I, by the, the last few chapters, I was in full flow and I was just loving writing. Yeah. And, but I couldn't get away from the fact that uh, Jeremy had helped me, Ian had helped me. And so when it came to the William Hill, I was so annoyed because the books that won were ghostwritten. Oh, uh, what? No. The, the one that was ghostwritten. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't. Oh no, 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 no! That year, no, that, no, that year also it was the goalkeeper, the suicidal goalkeeper, the guy. Oh, the to be fair, goal. that's a, that's an extraordinary book. So that was an extraordinary book. So that that deserved yeah. the win, yeah. and that totally beat Racing Through the Dark. But every yeah. other cycling book, um, apart from Paul Kimmage's, was always ghostwritten, and yeah. you thought I felt a bit bad about that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah no, the, the book that won was stellar. And uh, what was that book called? Can you remember? I I I'm, I can't remember, but it was ba- and I can't remember the name of the goalkeeper now. Ridiculously, he used to be he was German, a German, he was German, German goalkeeper. He was one of the German national goalkeepers, and he'd been with mm. Barcelona for a while, and mm. he threw himself in front of a train. Jesus. Um. And uh. And the book was based. You'll find it if you Google it, looking at those facts. But the book was based on his diaries that were subsequently uh, delivered up to a writer. I think Raphael Honigstein. And he's based in Barcelona, the writer. Oh, is that right? In that it wasn't Honigstein yeah. in that case, but so yeah. I can't remember who put the book together and wrote it. But yeah. it was, you know, it was wonderfully elaborated on these these diaries, really. And yeah. um, and and what 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 struck me about that book, and I, I I wish I could remember the title, but I can't I can't off the top of my head. Um, what really struck me about that book, David, is uh, was how it brought home for the first time, really, to me. Um, it brought home how, and subsequently, I've heard this. Many, many times from you, from other cyclists, you know, operating in, in the kind of little world I do now. But for the first time reading that book, I thought, you know what? 
being a sports, uh, an athlete at that level, especially in football, maybe, but not not necessarily, especially in football, is really hard. I mean, it's it's a it's a brutal environment, and I'd never really thought about that and before because, mm. and particularly, you know, being a goalkeeper where you train completely separately from the rest of the outfield players, you know, it's immensely repetitive. A life too short. That was what it's called. Robert Enker. Yeah, Robert, was the name. Robert was Enker the goal, was the name of the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper. That's, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, it just brought it home to me that the the the, the, the ludicrous pressures and mm. you know to go into that with the the, the mm. clear mental illnesses mm. that uh, Enker had, uh, it's just it was a horrifying read. Actually, genuinely horrifying read. David, today I, I just want to get this off my chest, and we can perk up after I've said this. But mm. I don't know whether you've ever had this experience. But I was I'm actually in Sunderland, and I I went for a bike ride up to South Shields along the spectacular coastline. And I came back down again after about an hour. And as I crossed over the big old bridge that spans the River Weir into Sunderland, I could see ahead of me a, a, a police car and a fire engine had just pulled up. And I wondered why. And there were three or four officers right on the railings of the bridge, which is quite low. And as I got closer, I realised that the officers had their arms on a man who was the wrong side of the railings. Um, um, and I, 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 I put my right arm out and went into the traffic and got round and got out of there as, as fast as I could. But, and that was a good few hours ago. Now I can't, I can't really shake it off. But what, I can't really, uh, you know, can you paint the so, picture? cause I can't quite understand what that means. Uh, I, well, uh, the only assumption I can make is that, um, he was suicidal. So it's a very, very uh, okay. tall bridge. Yeah. And he was, he was he was the wrong side of the railings and they okay. were trying to they were trying to talk him back huh. and um and i wouldn't have mentioned it and i, I but um you just mentioning yeah, that just, book has has just brought it yeah, to the with surface Robert Enker. and um yes. it's one of those it's one of those things where you you go about your everyday life i was in perfectly good mood mm. and something mm. something extraordinary happens and a bit like an Ian McEwan novel, yeah. you know. I don't know if you ever read any of those. Everyday life. Everyday well, you, life, you, you were the one everyday that bought life. me. You bought me the the book with the balloon story. Yeah, exactly. Enduring love. Yeah. Enduring it was love. a bit of an enduring love. It was a bit of a balloon moment, yeah. you know, out of a clear blue sky, and it was a clear blue sky. Yeah. Something just enormously significant so, in someone's uh, life. Uh, uh, our last one on this kind of this morose, melancholic start to Never Strays. Yeah, sorry about this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is it Never Strays, Arthur? Well, we'll come to well, that we'll come to that, but yeah, yeah that, that's our next but, um, topic. For, yeah, one of my friends, sorry, I don't know. This is one of my weird memories, and I think it's Asian. Where there was a in Korea, it could be China, it could be Japan, where there's a bridge with a lot of suicides. So what they did was they, they built all these visuals on there, uh, along the side, built screens along the bridge with pictures, <laughs> but it was so kind of cliche, like yeah. flowers. Oh, like okay. Sunrises. It's not going to cut the mustard, is it? No, not really. We're in that. We're in that place. <laughs> just put. Just put really big fences up. Yeah, like they like, did. In, yeah, 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 in London. Um, yeah. Okay. Let, well, let's let's move on. Since you raised the subject, I can't believe we're still having this discussion. It feels like I can't remember a time of my life where we weren't agonising over the next you know morphed uh, the next evolution of this show's title because we still haven't settled on it and no. um 
it's uh, we're recording this on Monday evening. The damned Vuelta starts soon, and we've promised to do occasional Vuelta pods. So, mm. just to confirm, David, our occasional Vuelta. This is what Vitor has to do the artwork for now. Yeah, our occasional poor Vitor, I could just drop him, just like. Vito, can you do this? It's... Yeah, but this is really good because we've already got um, Spanishified music, haven't we, from Perry? So we don't need that. to. That's done. That's good. So that's done. We don't need to hassle Perry any longer no. because he's still smarting from the fact that our podcast is more famous than his band. Yeah, Pendulum um... Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's not true. When they tour the Far East, apparently they well, sell out like arenas. They they're stadium. Stadia. We're, a, we're a quite a long way from a stadium. We're like you and me in fact, in rooms. If we got if we got all our all our subscribers, our, no, we haven't got any subscribers. If we got all our <laughs> regular, if we got all our regular listeners together, we would feel like a um, division three football ground, or maybe quite a large hockey high Wickham. High Wickham. High Wickham Wanderers. Wickham Wanderers. Wanderers of the podcasting world. Yeah, we're um, good, and it's got some class. Anyway, let's stop straying. So the um, the next right, okay, concentrate, David. The Spanish one first. Never strays Fandango. That's good. banked. All right, that's good. That's done. That's easy. Artwork easy. Right. Uh, hang on. Pause. One. Pause. Vito never strays Fandango. Oh yeah, going to happen. You listen. Never yeah. strays Fandango, Vito. Okay, <laughs> get on it because you've got a, a few, just a few days now. Um, now, the problematic one remains Neverstray's Farage, which obviously it's not going to be. I kind of like it. I love it. No, 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 no. Don't go down okay, that. Okay, sorry. Don't change okay. my mind again. Okay. So I had a discussion. I was, um, I was presenting ITV's coverage of the tour series round one last night, David, in Gisborough in North Yorkshire, very mm. close to where um, our executive, in fact, the birth town of our executive producer, who may be listening to this, Carolyn Vickery, oh, um, which is really? a lovely market town in, in North Yorkshire on the moors. Um, and um, why am I telling you this? Oh, yes, because I was just... Uh, so the, 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 the bunch, the, the riders were just lining up to start this crit race, yeah? And mm. I was hovering around with a camera crew at the back, just mm. picking off a few riders just yeah. to grab a really quick word with like that. Like, like and, the, the, weak, the injured, the, the weak. The weak and the injured. Well, one of them was Alex Briggs, actually. Okay, very good. He's, he's Alec Briggs. Alec. Alec. Alec, sorry, not Alex. Alec Briggs, who's a, the, mm. the main man at Tekkers, his yeah. team. Um, but then I recognised Isaac Mundy, who, um, who's another Hearn Hill kind of character. Don't know him. Who, no, I know, but he races for the Richardson team and he finished fourth in yesterday's crit. Actually. Holy so crap, that's good. Went, went really well. But I wanted to have a quick, really quick 30-second interview with, with Isaac. And the first thing he says to me is, loving never strays far. Oh, really? So, loving never strays far. Well, and then, Isaac, chapeau, love your work. Love your work, Isaac. And I wanted, Click to, subscribe. I wanted to say, but we're like, the, the clock is ticking down to like the, the, the race start and I need to get this interview in the can. And he starts to talk to me about what are you going to call the, the Tour of Britain one? He said, what are you going with? Have you decided yet? And I said, oh, I don't know. I, t- I, th- I said, I think we're going to go with, and before I could even remember what I thought we were going to go with, he said, you should go with never strays Arthur. Ah, uh, right. Amen. So I picked this up with you today, didn't I, over WhatsApp, yeah. right? And um, we had this little exchange. Hi, Nem. Um, oh, I was trying to think about it yet. I think Demonstrates Arthur is very good. Arthur, and it only just occurred to me, is that Arthur's English, and this race goes to Wales and Scotland, and will piss people off. 
Right, so you, I mean, it's incredible. You've just decided, David, unilaterally, you don't care if you're going to alienate our Scottish and Welsh listeners, particularly. Well, so, no, so I'm having... You don't care. You said, I don't care if we piss people off, you've said. That's what you said. Yeah, because I'm having this thing at the moment, and this this goes, and this is probably quite meta, and I shouldn't be talking about this. Uh, it's with chapter three is a company and brand. We're trying to do everything kind of right and you realise people aren't interested in doing things right. They do want it wrong, controversy. Mate. Do it they wrong. Want it, they want like either, yeah, like it's fucking, it's, uh, it's so hard, you're suffering, or it's we're fixing the world through charity. You can't be in the middle anymore. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, you know what? Let's just go and push buttons. Yeah. And I can't do a chapter three yet. You're, you but, want to be a disruptor brand, right? Well, I'd, so that's me. You know what I'm like. I'd love yeah. to disrupt stuff. I was thinking because I'm doing everything right sustainably and trying to build a really healthy company and doing everything the right way. And you realize that no one cares about that. <laughs> they want you to kind of, to make, to just do right. To okay. just, yeah. So, and so I think with, a, with, with never strays, um, Arthur, Arthur, I'm yeah. Scottish. I'm secure in that. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But you're um, Scottish in advert. I know your mother's very Scottish, but you're Scottish hmm. in inverted commas, aren't you though? Let's be well, honest. It, well, if what are inverted commas? I had this conversation with my children. What what are they? It's yeah, it's, that, it's my way of saying you're not that Scottish. Hmm. Do you, that's a, that's a, that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, out. Well, in the same way that in the same way that Liam, who works with us, yeah. Who's he's incredibly ex- Scottish. He's incredibly Scottish. We can, that's incontrovertibly the case, right? In the same way that he constantly, you see, you know, my, my dad is Irish. He was born in Dublin. Mm. Yeah, but, but then again, he's lived all, most of his life in, mm. in England. I was born in, in, in England, mm. have a quarter of my family in Ireland, yeah. but I, I, I'm entirely English. Look, I'm, even, I'm literally wearing an England football shirt. Yeah, you're very English. Yeah. Um, and, but I have an Irish passport. And mm. I've never had a British passport. I've never had a British passport. And yeah. Liam seems to, he always tries to, tries to goad me into becoming a plastic paddy, right? Which mm. I'm simply not going to do. Because yeah. yes, I do have this little bit of Irish heritage. But in order to claim to be Irish, you have to kind of be Irish, which I'm not, yeah. you know. Now, I'm, I, not, I, so, I'm not saying, it's a bit unfair in your case, because I mean, yeah, I've met so I suppose, pa- so, no, no, because I had this conversation, because um, uh, my Danish friend is here and we we're talking about Scottish. And I said, uh, and, we, and he asked me about it. And he said, oh, are they going to brief? He said, no. I said, no, because uh, being a Scot is very complicated because we've always had to migrate. We've always had to emigrate. It's true. As a Scot, you have to emigrate. Well, uh, likewise for the Irish. Likewise for the Irish. Yeah, in different ways. We had five universities when we were younger. It's not a competition, but it's like we go to Ireland, and Ireland was always a, a defence. That's why the UK, England, wanted to take that over yeah. to stop the Spanish and French dominating it to then have an invasion base for the British principal isle. So that was the Ireland was a victim of geolocation. Um, but Scotland is... All the Scots I know, we are not nationalists. We're patriotic, but we don't. We we had to leave to succeed. 
we had to, we were well-educated, we were well brought up, but we couldn't do it in our own country. And we would leave and we would go to other countries and we would do it with no, no nationalism and patriotism has to be contained. So to be Scottish is very interesting because I meet Scots all across the world and I have done my whole life and none of us wave flags. We do it from the inside out because we're Scottish and nobody knows Scots. And we're like the we're like the the greatest global mafia that no that nobody knows about. Oh, I think I've I've poked a stick in a kind of like hornet's nest here, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just I'm I, I'm, leave I'm it Scottish. There. I am <laughs> Scottish. I am Scottish till the till the till the day I die. All my we're Scottish. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's an excellent yeah. rebuttal. I'm, I've yeah. been firmly put in my place, David. Yeah. Yeah. I will never use the inverted yeah. commas about yeah. your nationality. Yeah. Yeah. Ever again. Okay. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it is a hornet's nest. Went deep there. Um, okay. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, we were so you don't give a damn about Arthur. So it's Arthur. Arthur. Yeah, because I don't really care about nationalism. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. We had a point yeah. in the end. Hey, yeah. the Olympic Games. Yeah, that's a lovely thing. And I, I, I tell you what, I am a cynic and yet I found it wonderful well last time we podded they'd just mm. begun if you remember mm. and we yeah. both of us went extremely deep talking about well the yeah. three races that we kind of talked about with the men's yeah. and women's mm. road races the time trial we got the time trial a bit yeah. wrong i think <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a little bit because apparently it was absolutely thrilling and if you look at the results yes roglic won by a country mile <laughs> like the battle for all the other medals were thrilling and at like four seconds <laughs> yeah. separated three riders or something so and, and, somebody, and somebody said to me today it was like did you watch the, the road race was amazing and i was like oh really and then you didn't watch it and i was like I, well it's quite difficult to watch it because we don't have tv and we have to do it through internet and different things <laughs> but it, i was like oh and that's been, I think, the recurring theme, Ned. The racing has been incredible. Hasn't it just been in, been yeah. amazing? Even stuff yeah. that... So, and then we raved, I remember we raved about Pidcock's ride and how beautiful mm. it was oh, and that sort of thing. Sublime. And that was, before, that was before they started doing both the BMX and the track, none of which we've spoken about yet. Do you want to know, on. like, this is an anecdote. So this is a classic drone anecdote. I met my friend uh, yesterday at breakfast uh, in Girona before we were doing this chapter three ride out, who's a, a doctor here, who's a, mm-hmm. an amazing guy. And he operated on Pidcock and he, he did the, but he actually, this was yesterday okay. and he was showing me all the pictures of his collarbone during okay. the surgery. And it was a absolute mess. Wow. And yet and four days was, later he was on his bike or whatever. It was, I mean. it was honestly in multiple pieces. Gosh. And I got, I got to see all the pictures of it kind wow. of in surgery well hats so, yeah, off so, to the surgeon that's incredible yeah it's pretty magical anyway yeah. carry on um well just to say then the track started and before that even happened i mean th- literally the first time i've paid attention to bmx partly because oh, partly because yeah. you know that um kai white in particular won the silver medal mm. in the men's he his i know that bmx track i ride past it all the time in burgess park in peckham and that story was just absolutely captivating i thought it was, i thought it was completely phenomenal but then, um, you know, the, 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 the contribution from Bet Shriver to win that gold medal and then 
you know, I, I know, I know not a thing about BMX. I wouldn't profess to know the first thing about it. Mm-hmm. And I'd not heard of her, although she is an established name in the sport at 22 years of age. She's not 13, no. you know, she's not, no. she's not like, um, she's not Sky, like Sky Brown, S- Sky Brown, who my kids love. Oh, uh, well, everyone, I mean, she's just incredible. But, yeah. but Beth, Beth Shriver, you know, has been knocking on the door of, of mm. this kind of an achievement. But then you find out that because no women qualified from GB for the Rio Olympics, um, for the BMX competition, they weren't they weren't deemed to be good. They didn't qualify, so UK Sport just withdrew their funding completely after 2016. And so she just funded it herself with a combination of working yeah. hard in a in a nursery school, yeah. and then yeah, I just thought that. And then she and I, smashed I, it, didn't she? But it I incredible. also yeah, and she and there's there's two things to that because the initial kind of clickbait was she was dropped out. She had to crowd crowdfund her way there. Yeah. Uh, but then you, you read it's some sparky Stephen Parker, isn't it? Um, who is the Dave Brailsford, now the performance director of UK yeah. uh, uh, GB Cycling. Who's who's not... Uh, I've met him once and he's just a very quiet, lovely man. He's the, the antithesis to Dave Brailsford. The charismatic kind of f- f- figurehead. Sparky, as they all call him, which is quite a... a d- not the most powerful kind of name for somebody who leads a project like this. It was, he then had a rebuttal, which you've never seen. He said, no, we didn't defund her. We fought to get funding for her. Oh, okay. And we, so and I've, we, I've, I've been... No, 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 no. You're, you're right. UK Sport, because of the podium program, they stopped the funding yeah, for, for yeah. female BMXing because they weren't getting their podium program. Yeah. And he came back and no, we fought for it and we supported her, but we couldn't pay for it. But we allowed her to stay in the program if she got the money, etc. So it's quite a convoluted story. Yeah. But the fact that she was there and did that, it was, and it was a little bit like skateboarding. Why this is such a good entry to the sport? Watching BMX and skateboarding, the biggest takeaway from skateboarding, in particular, was how all the athletes just hugged each other. Oh, it's just different. Totally, it's different. just culturally. Different. Uh, poles apart from anything I've ever seen. It was it was immense in that respect. It was immense, and I it got was, a friend. It was yeah. Olympian. It was it was it was Olympian. Olympian. It was Olympian. We're yeah. taking part. Yeah. We win, we lose together, and it it's, was incredible. And, it, yeah. it's, and I I loved that, and especially in the women's skateboarding. But yeah, then you then you got on to um, what was her name? Who who did the all the 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 freestyle? And I'm I'm going to kill myself now, Charlotte. Oh no! In what what we're talking about now? Into a horse riding? No, <laughs> wait, wait. I'm confused. <laughs> synchronized yeah. synchronized diving. No, um, hang on. And taekwondo? everyone is going to have to bear with us for a second. And actually, we'll just edit this back. Maybe. No, I can't do any. I can't be bothered to do any editing. I'm just going to hang you out to dry with this one. But anyway, what was the point you're going to make? We can. We can. Well, freestyle post- BMX. Yeah. Freestyle BMX. Freestyle BMX. And okay. Well, make it, your points, and I'll find out who you're talking about. Go on. She she got gold medal. Uh, in the freestyle BMX, and she did two tricks. Oh which yeah! Were, oh, I, I forgot watching. about her. God, yeah. And she did this three sixty flip. That oh, was. Yeah, so, I was watching, yeah. and I was, I, I was watching it, and I wasn't watching live. I was watching the morning with the boys. So they're Charlotte Worthington. Charlotte Worthington. And it was. I watched her do the trick in the re- in the morning when I was watching the boys, and I was like, "What the hell was that?" Yeah. And then she did a front forward flip after that. Yeah. And these are things you don't do. Yeah. It yeah, was it, yeah. It was incredible. 
Yeah. And what I found, and this is, I'm not sure if we're there yet, but we can get to it. It was so cool to watch the first medals for cycling in, um, uh, for, for GB were mountain biking and BMX male and female. Yeah. Yeah. It was the alternative cycling. Yeah. Everyone for the last few years has been world track. Yeah. They've gone, it's lost after all those guys. Yeah. And so everyone was still thinking at this point, well, track's gone. Yeah. And these, they've filled in the gap. They've got mountain biking and BMXing, male, female, yeah. and they're doing things that no one expected. All right. And then, and then we got to track. So, no, yes, but this is going to provide an excellent edit point in, in, our, in our wonderfully produced podcast here, David. Because <laughs> what you and I are going to do after about 27 minutes of gassing on here is I'm going to change the batteries in my recorder. Otherwise, I'll lose everything, right? Yeah, perfect. And, and while we do that, and then we're going to reboot. But while I do all that... In the meantime, what's happened is all the road racers from the road program have flown back to Europe. And uh, one of the first appointments that they had was the San Sebastian for men and for women, yes. both World Tour races. And who did we have on the ground there witnessing it firsthand on the finish line? But Monsieur Rendalero. Rendalero. Let's hear from Rendalero. Hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. Nick Bolting. You're back in your hot Madrid shoebox, I see. Shoe, yeah, a shoebox, but a shoebox made of tin. <laughs> like, like those things that they used to... The Put Japanese in the old days, when we exactly all that in the old days before you know before we were all Olympic pals and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, son, you can't. As you can hear, I'm incapable of thought. No, I doubt it, Matt. There's always thought going on. There's, there's always, always thought going on. There's always deep yeah, thought right. going on. Here, um, yeah. just before just before I said goodbye to you, wherever the hell that was, oh, it was at your book event at my sister's place, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was in Walton-on-Thames. Yeah. Walton that was Thames, nice, sorry, wasn't it? Barn. Yeah, it was good fun. How did and I, I turned up at that thing, and yeah. I had this high, the hire car that I'd had at the Tour de France, and I managed to get it, when I say at the Tour de France, for our Tour de France production at Maidstone. And yeah. I, I, I got sort of the, the hire period extended so that I could drive around on my book um, thing. And I was hmm. thinking, hey, it's quite a smart hire car. And uh, people think that I own this yeah. car. So they'll yeah. think, you know, I'm prosperous and doing rather well for myself. So, oh, yeah, that's all right. And then I turn up and there's this massive <laughs> limousine with Tour of Britain all over it. And I thought, bloody Ned Bolting. <laughs> bloody. But it wasn't Ned Bolting at all. No. It, it was, was someone Mick, else. It was, it was Mick Bennett, the race director <laughs> of the Tour of Britain. But funnily enough, I am now driving around. <laughs> in, in in one of those cars with oh, I, Britain. yeah I've got one with stickers all over it and that, people who think you with, people who think uh, you drive around in that all year I know but I feel like a sponsored golf pro you know like oh <laughs> 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 uh, Matt no so last time I saw you I think I just managed to um manage to hoik a little foist a little job on you that you were quite unwilling to take Matt ah, we, were, we were playing kind of yeah. commentators past the parcel weren't we a yeah bit. yeah. Um, I, yeah, because I, I, you are a commentator, and I uh, pretend you are a I lie to people. <laughs> uh, you are a commentator, and and the job came up that I couldn't do for various reasons. But I, mm. uh, much as I'd actually, I would have wanted to do it, but you know, mm. COVID and it just felt irresponsible. Um, yeah. flying to San Sebastian, to Spain, yeah, uh, to Spain to do the um the women's and the men's race of the 
Um, well, they're both World Tour races, aren't they? I think yeah. the Classica San Sebastian in, in this kind of very limited women's World Tour programme it's the first World Tour race since La Course, isn't it? Yeah, 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 I think um, it is. And, the the uh, Donostiaco Classicoa, as I have learned to call it. There we go. And and then and that that was in the morning, right? Or were they on consecutive days? I can't remember. No, no, that. no. The women sort of started at seven AM or something. Ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then um uh, and then the men's sort of started at 11 or something. but And, and, and so they kind of overlapped. But we only did uh, a, an hour and 20 minutes or something of the women and then two hours or two and a half hours of the men's. Well, what um, happened? Tell us about the races, because I did not see... Uh, well, I saw a tiny bit of the men's race, um, b- but I didn't see any of the women's race. So give us a precy of what went on, Matt. Well, uh, I mean, the, the women's race was... Uh, was was fascinating as it was, but in the end, it came it came down to Annemiek van Vluten, as it and, often does. <laughs> as it often does, and um, she was just uh, absolutely flawless. And uh, breakaway got away. Um, there was uh, uh, some good riders uh, in the in the breakaway, uh, but um, movie star really worked solidly as a team and uh, brought back uh, the breakaway riders and on sort of the final climb and they deposited Annemiek van Vluten where she needed to be at the Mm. foot of the final climb and she just uh, rode past everyone and um, and rode away Uh, to victory. And and that was that. And it was... Is the... um, So San Sebastian is a race that I've... I, I don't know. Maybe it's because where it sits in the calendar, you know, it's, mm. it's a little mm. bit in the kind of afterglow of the Tour de France still yeah. before yeah. the Vuelta. And it sits on, its, you know, it's not surrounded by, actually it is surrounded by other important one day races, but no, mm. no real headline one day races. So it's slightly isolated, isn't it? Where it yeah. sits there. And f- maybe that's the reason why I've never paid it enough attention. But is it, so tell me, is it um, a race which... Uh, changes its roots significantly every year or is it pretty much the same year in year out no it's it's evolved quite slowly over the years and it's it's kind of based around the highest kibel which is uh this climb that it's not enormously high up to about you know 450 meters or so but it's right on the coast so it's visible from Biarritz, for instance uh across the bay of biscay where it, it, san sebastian's 11 miles from the uh, French border, yeah, yeah, and so it's 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 the capital of uh, Gipuzkoa, which is one of the regions inside the autonomous community of the Basque Country, and um, of course it's 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 well known for the film festival and the jazz festival and that sort of thing, and sure. it was where the Spanish royal family uh, went to sort of spend their summers, uh, emulating the French royal family that used to go to Biarritz. So it's got that kind of cachet and that sort yeah. of, um, a, a little bit sort of um, empire style, um, uh, faded 19th century wealth, uh, wealth and luxury sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's actually, it's really nice. And so it's got this hinterland um, of relatively low, but, um, quite demanding, quite steep climbs. And of course, they're not 20 kilometre Pyrenean climbs, but they are great for racing. They're kind of moors. And and it's kind of, the the classic has only been going since 1981. And it was included um, in the first World Cup 
in yep. uh, 1989 by Heim Verbruggen. So it was part of that whole oh, inclusive okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of globalization thing. Yep. And it's it's kind of another of those races that it's 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 not quite a uh, it's not quite a classic. It's not quite a monument. But no, it's it, is a it, is a, it is a classic. It is it's a classic a and it's not yeah. a monument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, so you've got this Heinz Kiebel and then um, as, I, I think in a sense, as the standard of men's cycling got higher and higher, um, the number of people in the final sprint got bigger and bigger. And eventually okay. they sort of decided to um, put the Heinz Kiebel in it for a couple of times to thin it out. And then, you know, a, a bit like uh, Lombardia, you know, they, they keep finding these little lumps that they can stick in the final five or 10 kilometers that yeah. sort of just, they may only be, it may only be a one kilometer climb or a two kilometer climb, but after you've done all that distance, man, it's like up to us and kind of thins yeah. it out. So it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of one of those, doesn't change a lot, um, but it's, um, it's, it's rather beautiful actually. And San Sebastian is, is rather beautiful. Is is I I, think, I've got. Mm, have mm. you ever read Matt? Have you ever read The Sun Also Rises by by Hemingway? Ernest yeah. Ernest. Now, isn't yeah. it? Isn't it after the madness of Pamplona? Isn't it to San Sebastian on his way back to Paris that, that our hero kind of goes to detox, basically, and to and to clear his head from all the debauchery and um, the, everything that's gone on? I, I think he retires to San Sebastian, doesn't he? For those final scenes. Go. Yeah, yeah, and that's where yeah, he encounters. Yeah. He encounters. I don't know if you remember. Um, he encounters a team of right. uh, professional cyclists who yeah. are have just been riding the um, or are in the middle of riding the tour of the Basque Country. Yeah, and he has yeah. a brief conversation with them over breakfast one day. And uh, so Heming, that's one of the few times in, in which Hemingway discusses um, and, road uh, cycling. And, and road cycling yeah. and Botechia yeah. gets a mention, which is really interesting. Ah, there you um, go. Because yeah. the track cycling is in a movable feast in Paris. So he writes yes, about that's track right. cycling yeah. there. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the, the support. Well, he was a regular. Noise. Hemingway was a regular yeah, yeah. The, um, at the tracks, wasn't he? All of them. Yeah, yeah. Back in the, yeah. the Buffalo track and the Parc des Princes as well. That's and it. The, that's the, it. the Vélo d'Hiver. Um, he, he describes this nauseating sound of a rider's skull as it smashes when he goes yeah. over the bars and hits very this concrete road service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so that's a huge digression, which is very yeah. unlike this podcast. Yeah. Um, but, well, the um, interesting thing was that yeah, when race. you have the... Mm. Yeah, well, when you have the women's race before the men's race... Mm. Um, which is a very interesting hand, discussion in the first place God, because Flanders well, Classics is. do it differently, don't they? And, and with some success, I think. But anyway, yeah. set yeah. that aside for now. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing is... Is that you'd had this i mean as, as i've said right now in madrid where i am it's so hot you can barely or i can barely think and it was like that all the way through july and then on the morning or on the day before the afternoon before the classica san sebastian yeah um the weather turned it was rain it was i mean 17 18 degrees it wasn't cold but compared with what it had been sure and so um you know, of course, all the all, all the oil, the grease has kind of risen uh, with the heat towards the the sort of top of of all the aggregate on the road surface in the in in the asphalt, and uh, it's greasy, and the descents are treacherous. And as Annemiek van Vluten, on her own with a good forty five second or so lead, plummeted towards the finish line, um, she kind of she almost lost it. She lost her front wheel 
for two microseconds yeah. on one particular corner. Yeah. And she managed to hold it together brilliantly and then rode off and made it to the finish. And that was all good. Ruth Winder second, 35 seconds behind her. That was all good. But you uh, just now thought, I, I think I know yeah. why you've mentioned that incident. Right, because right. doesn't it come back to bite someone on the bum it, it in does. the men's race? Yeah. Totally. And, and immediately mm. you're thinking, ah, OK, I see what's happening here. And of course, the men, you know, are bigger and... Uh, take those descents that much faster. And what happened was effectively there was a group of four of them um, who went away. Um, Simon Carr of EF Nippo had yep. attacked on his own on the uh, on the Guruche, I think, uh, it was the climb, is the uh, sort of uh, two away from the finish. And it was a climb that he knew well because when he was an amateur a rider, he'd won a climb, uh, won a race going over that climb. He knew it perfectly well. Mm -hmm. Rode away with Mikel Lander, mm -hmm. or rather Lander attacked. Car went over to him and rode straight past him. So he must have been in fantastic form. And um, then um, Lorenzo Rota, yep. uh, Mohoric, uh, who else? Ah, yes. Um, Mikel Onorech, for such is it pronounced. Mm. And, um, uh, and Nielsen Paulus, uh, Simon Carr's teammate, teammate. Yeah. uh, piled off. Uh, Rota went first and they kind of went off and Paulus was just kind of policing them and kind of sort of said to them, look, I've got a teammate made ahead. If you guys get across to him, then we'll talk. But I, I'm not doing any pulling. I'm not going to bring a teammate back. So they did get across to him. Uh, Carr kind of rode for Paulus at that point. Uh, Paulus attacked on the final climb, the Murgil, and um, kind of opened at 20, 25 seconds or so, Paulus alone. Mahoric powered back to him. <laughs> and you thought, ah, okay, right. Yeah. This is this is pretty S much seen done. The, seen this story before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And... Um, and then they're descending at speed, and on that same corner that Annemiek van Vluten, uh had 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 got into trouble, they um, uh, Mohoric kind of uh, lost it a bit. Onorech went slamming into a kind of uh, the wall at the side of the road, banged his arm up, banged his hip up. Um, Paulus had been looking at his uh, at his computer, and had been seeing the curves. And he sort of thought that the others might be going a bit hot into it. So he was able to ride past them and uh, hold it pretty well. And just perhaps the freshness and the the absence of those kind of butterflies in the stomach after you've had, you know, after you've lost it and, and, and then set off again. Paulus just went into the final sprint, maybe with just a little bit of uh, mental and physical freshness. Yeah, and um, the Basque guy who was next to me, the commentator, he must have done the obvious thing, which is stood up and looked down at the finish line, and he could see that Paulus had won it. I'm too stupid to do that. I was looking at the head-on shot <laughs> <laughs> on the television screen, and uh, but thankfully Paulus kind of raised his right arm, and um, because he must just have squeezed, squeezed somehow that speed out of it. I didn't think he had a chance. He thought Onorech would be riding, riding past him. But then, but th there we go. Uh, young rider takes his first professional win, which is kind of another of those things that you, 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 you retake a little bit because yeah. 
you think, yeah. wait a minute, Paulus, he was brilliant possibly in last must, year's must, Tour de France. Yeah, yeah he must, exactly. and he must have picked up two stages yeah. of the Tour of Utah or something. Yeah, I mean, how can, exactly, how can exactly, he possibly exactly. not have won a race before? Exactly, yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. I didn't realise that actually. That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. came across and 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 great great story. And the funny thing was that, um, like you say, it was one of those jobs, kind of last minute. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm, I'm really not qualified to do this. I don't know the women's peloton well enough. I, I just don't really do any commentating on women's races. And um, I, God, I'm knackered after the tour. I'd done my little book tour as well. Yeah, yeah, you've been busy. And I thought, oh, blimey. And I don't, you know, and, and of course, such is cycling at the moment. There are so many races yeah. that are available yeah. on, on so many different platforms that um, – there's actually way too much. I mean, so long as you can't see many races, it, you don't care so much about how much is going on. But yeah. as soon as, you know, GCN, for instance, starts Stop putting... Stop us all this cycling. Oh, okay, because I've got to, I've got to eat. Yeah. I, I've got occasionally, yeah. I've got to go to the toilet. Um, yeah. there are, I, I've got to listen to the news sometimes. And actually, on the very rarest occasion, I've got to do some work and earn some money. Yeah. And I yeah. just can't do all that with all these races going on. So yeah. anyway, um, so I accepted to do it. And then what happens? <laughs> GCN have some kind of technical problem, can't get their own commentary team uh, out on the airwaves. And I end up on GCN. And the only reason I've taken the job was, uh, but the only reason I've taken the job was on the basis that no one no was going to be listening to me. <laughs> yeah. so. Now listen, um, subsequently you've been in touch with Nielsen Paulus again and, um, yeah. and, and you wanted to, yeah. you wanted to, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you have gleaned because I did listen to some of your commentary. I was one of your um, listeners. Three or four you, listeners. That you rather hoped you hadn't got. And well, you were five very, or you six. Were very, you were very um, markedly making the point about his ethnicity and yeah. his, dif- his point of difference, really, Nielsen Paulus. And uh, just tell us a little, because you didn't really have much time in the middle of a sprint <laughs> um, <laughs> to go into detail. So, you know, t- tell, us what, tell us about Nielsen. Well, um, he was uh, a phenomenal... He was a teenage phenom as david miller would say and he was um he's one of those guys that okay so he's just taken his first pro win and i think i probably pronounced his name for the first time on stage two of last year's tour where do you remember um education first were kind of trying to set up um sergio Iguita for the sprint and um he uh, and Paulus was part of that. He kind of went on the attack on one of the final little climbs in Nice and sort of stretched out the peloton. And you're going, hey, look, there he is. He yep. is uh, a member of the Oneida uh, American Indian nation. Um, his uh, father, Jack, was the uh, US Air Force Athlete of the Year 1992. His mother, Jen, rode the 1992, uh, ran the 1992 Olympic marathon. Representing for, Guam, right? For Guam. Yeah. Now yeah, she's, yeah. she's a California native, hmm. but she kind of, she was working in Guam for a kind of club med type thing. She'd finished college <laughs> so and sort of, yeah. Yeah. She, she, she took a, an audition for this sort of club med type organization, not knowing even what or where Guam was. And when she got the job, she looked on the map and thought, oh, wow, that's pretty wacky. And she'd, Jen uh, Paulus, she had held three 
world best times as a seven-year-old okay (laughs) (laughs) and she'd been she was top 10 in u.s uh cross country as a 14 year old and then she got disenamored of of running and just gave it up and then when it came to university age her parents sort of said look um the only way you can go to college is if you get a scholarship and all those girls that you used to beat as a um as a as a, as a cross country runner they're all on scholarships so she kind of walked into the college and walked to the athletics coach and said can i join your team in the middle of the season totally unfit and within about 6 months she was top 10 in the us again and so there's all this going on and on the other side in guam she met jack the father he's a member of the oneida nation um Nielsen goes to the reservation up in Wisconsin and his sister does Shana as well. She's his older sister. She's a pro cyclist as well. And they talk to the kids and give them, sort of motivate them and encourage them to to think big and to do stuff with their lives. And it's enormously important to them. And I, as you know, I kind of, well, not only do I love those athletes who take this thing that we're interested in for some reason called global sport and they turn it to um, the betterment of their communities and and sort of encouraging people to have the courage of their identity and their difference and their and their these these small yeah. sort of set upon communities and they they kind of harness the status and the standing and the platform that global sport gives them for something that I think is very good. So yeah, he's. He's quite something. He's quite something. And he's one of these young riders who, um, okay, he's not young in the sense that Remco or Pogacar are young. He's a a year older, a couple of years older. He actually was a rival, I found out, of um, Egan Bernal when Egan was a mountain biker. They both rode the 2014 World Championships where Egan was second and Nielsen was eighth. Um, mm. And I tell you who else was a teammate on the road and the mountain bike of Nielsen Paulus, um, and that was uh, forgotten his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I'll tell you who it was. Um, uh, no, Sean Bennett. Sean Bennett, who on Quebecer Tour de France this year, about whom yeah. Um, there isn't a great deal of information, but they kind of grew up together almost. Uh, save for, on the, save for the fact that team. he's a student of Japanese. Save that he's a student of Japanese. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So there. Um, so interesting story. Good interesting story. story. So Matt, I'm going to I'm going to edit this together into David yeah. our podcast. Have you? Can we have hear a little sound bite from here? We certainly can. And yeah. I'll tell you what we can. I'll give you some stuff from our yeah. conversation. And it's quite interesting. We know what a great descender and what a great racer Matej Mohoric is he's really demonstrated that this year and um it's over the last two or three years um Matej Mohoric and Nielsen Paulus both really aggressive riders really enterprising attacking riders great descenders um they've kind of tended to be in the same place at the same same race exactly and it's something that until he mentions it you don't really think really did that happen and then yeah. you realize so um yeah here's Nielsen Powers. I think there's quite a lot of that actually Matt that yeah. happens when riders find themselves in the same but oh it's you again 
And I thought, <laughs> I thought when you told me that initially, I thought, yeah, yeah. That, that, then I couldn't think of any actual examples, but no, I'm, no. I'm sure I'm sure the riders themselves know very well. But okay, we're going to play play some powerless. Thank you for talking about. And I, I thought we'd give this a bit of production values as well. So I thought we could indulge you and my our shared affection for the works of Pat Metheny. How about that? Right, uh, and uh, even uh, though even though Wichita Falls is actually in Texas and nowhere near where Nielsen Palace comes from, I think uh, we could play a bit of what's the song called? As fools, uh, Wichita Falls, so fools, so Wichita fools. fools, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, by, by by Pat Metheny for no no good reason other than it's a great bit of music, and we could play it up now, we could lift it up now in the edits, and then and then we can hear a little bit of Nielsen Palace. And um, Matt, I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Wonderful. Ah, Pat Metheny. Poland a couple years ago I was able to attack from the the, the group of um, uh, GC favorites and I was chasing I was chasing Mahorich that day he was in the early break and I was chasing him down and I was I, I knew the whole time that I was chasing him that I was I was closing on him I was closing on him but I was never able to, to catch him by the finish line so that was definitely a bummer because I, I feel like that could have been my first win of my professional career if he hadn't had um, a, such a big gap before I started to really go after him and then I feel like we just kept running into each other in the past few years because then in the tour in the stage to Andorra um, I missed out on getting into the big breakaway of I would say 25 riders and I I saw an opportunity to bridge across on a descent as well after the first long climb of the day, which the breakaway ended up going on. And I attacked into the descent. There was about, I think they had about 20, 30 seconds on us. And then by the end of the descent, I had I had caught them. It was a super twisty technical descent. I caught them and I was really pushing the limits on the whole descent. And by the time I caught them, I looked back and Mohorich had also bridged across. And I remember looking back a few times and there was nobody in my wheel for the first half of the descent. But at some point on the descent, he decided to follow and chase me down and follow me down the descent as well. And just the fact that he was able to close that gap when I was already feeling like I was pushing the limits of that descent, just the fact he was able to close that gap, I, I, I knew that, you know, he's a, he's a super descender. He's very skilled very confident in his equipment as well and um yeah and then again we were in a, a breakaway together which took place on a descent and <laughs> i feel like we just kind of keep this uh reoccurring theme going of uh races that that get pretty technical pretty hectic that are pretty tough and we sort of main i guess maintain our ability to descend well even when we're tired and I think that's something that we can have a big advantage over a lot of other people with. But in the end, uh, yeah, it is kind of funny how we keep 
finding ourselves together in these situations, whether, I don't know, I don't even, maybe he doesn't even realize this, but it's just kind of something that came to, to my mind. I was like, I, I guess I do keep running into this guy. <laughs> Batteries go, mate. They go, and the whole recording gets gets lost. That cascade um, of hell. Yeah. So that was Matt. That was Matt talking about San Sebastian and Nielsen Paulus and everything. And we've got loads that we could talk about that, but we're not going to partly because you have, actually haven't heard that interview. Um, and yeah. um, also, but Paulus, we've got but, loads of Paulus. That was. He's one of your. He's one of your riders, like Sepp Kuss. He's in my top you've ten. About, he's in my top ten. You've just got a thing about American riders for some reason. I, I do. Know. I like some of those guys. They kind of they feel the the new wave. They feel like rebels i quite like them yeah but anyway so yeah. well done nielsen yeah. back to tokyo mm. and the track was brilliant and it was unexpectedly brilliant and it was so I and mean, it was just well what did you see did you see any of it yeah i did <laughs> I, I dip in and out because uh morning i get up with the kids oh my god synchronicity of life my friend the doctor who did is just messaging me, yep. me now that's weird yeah that's weird Has he? um uh okay. And I, if you get to sort out your collarbone, uh, honestly, uh, my wife was beating me up today about getting that sorted out. I'll get it out, done in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just ugly. It's just ugly to look at. Apart from the <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal, is it? Uh, <laughs> no. But uh, it's a bit. Ooh. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of dipped in and out and I was I was watching kind of staying attention to the team pursuit. Which was oh the thing. men's team pursuit that was like, but I mean the women the women were incredible because mm. nobody expected Germany to rip mm. it up like they did yeah. and, you know GB got their silver medal and they were disappointed yeah. but the the men's oh that final was I've never enjoyed a team pursuit like that one is incredible but it was also it was the incredible. build up it was the crashes it was the controversy it was the first started off with stickers on shins and oh, then the Danes it was just <laughs> and then you had the the crashes and it yeah. was it was a brilliant yeah. narrative to the final. And then no yeah. one had spoken about Italy. And then Ghana just did something well, that no one has ever seen, ever. Yeah. And yeah. if you've ever, I, and it reminded me in 2004, I was, and this is like a little known fact, I was being, I spent the winter in Manchester getting uh, to, to train for, to be part of the GB Athens uh, team time trial, uh, team pursuit team. So I spent what? I spent a winter training, kind of doing all that stuff. No, not Athens, Beijing. No, two thousand for two thousand three, two thousand four season. Oh, okay. So, oh, right. So okay. two thousand three winter, I was doing oh, that, okay. and I was at Manchester learning how to do it. And so I got it. What? Yeah, yeah. It's a little known fact. And uh, yep. yeah. breaking news. I'd never. Heard yeah, okay, nobody anyway. knows about it. Yeah. But I, oh. I remember being in the velodrome, and, and I spent uh, uh, six, seven weeks there learning all the techniques and. I, so I have a full grasp of how complex it is. 
and you you look on TV, you watch, you just see it, and you see it kind yeah. of just it just looks like circles. But you're in it, and it's yeah. just like it's so fast. It's the fastest thing you've ever done. And the yeah. G forces, the speed they're doing, everything's getting compressed. And when you saw the um, the Aussie team and the handlebars snap, that oh, yeah. that was going into the going into the turn. And there's so much you're like at two three G. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And yeah. the equipment just couldn't hold it, and it's got pushed, broke it. And so when and I knew also, and it was Rod Ellingworth at the time who was teaching you deliver your teammate, deliver your teammate. And when I read all the stuff from Ghana after they won. He said the only thing his team, they had the tactic, his teammate delivered him up to speed. So with the 800 meters to go, the the tactic had been that you have to get me up to 65 kilometers an hour. Now, if mm. you can deliver mm. me to 65 kilometers an hour, I will hold it for 35 mm. seconds, 40 yeah, seconds, yeah, yeah. three laps. Yeah, yeah. But that was the whole team effort because that was what I was always taught it's not about what yeah. you can do. It's how what you put the person behind you in, the speed you leave for them when they hit the front. Because they had to deploy Ghana. Yeah. But in order to deploy Ghana, the most yeah. frightening weapon ever released yeah. in, in the world yeah. of team pursuiting, they had to look after Ghana. So they had to, they had to keep Italy in, in the position yeah. in the race yeah. in which there was a point in deploying yeah. Ghana. And, and to do that, they, their contribution was immense, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. what I, you know, what, in all the excitement about Ghana, I thought, you know, there's Simone Consani. He's, yeah. he's Elia Viviani's yeah. leader man, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's an incredible yeah. range of skills yeah. there. And they smashed it. And God, it was exciting. It was that, the, best, uh, the best of the track races for me that, by, by far. That's, I mean, what you just said there, deploy is exactly what their whole tactic was. And it's, and that's what's, and I was using deliver. And I'm just looking deploy definition, move troops or equipment into position for military action. There you go. That's, that's, that's what that And that's the first definition. The second definition is bring into effective action. Yeah. So they literally yeah. deployed, they spent 3.2 Ks, their whole tactic, preparing to deploy Ghana. Amazing. And it was, and then he took eight, eight, which sounds cr- madness. He took eight hundred, eight tenths of a second out of Denmark in eight hundred yeah. meters on his own. Yeah, and it's That's incredible. It's just incredible. And the Danes, the Danes are so good as well. Yeah, the Danes so are good. so good yeah. in that discipline. Yeah. So, anyways, that was that was um, how it started. Yeah, I mean, and then and then it went on. I mean, I thought Katie Archibald and Laurie Kenny's Madison uh, victory was. I've never seen anything. They just. <laughs> just, and then Laura Kenny's interview afterwards where she said 60 laps in I barely touched the pedals <laughs> it was the it was the easiest yeah. race she'd ever had and for, they just couldn't believe and for, yeah and for Kate, the, the lock the, the the stranglehold they had on the race yeah. it was just incredible and Katie Archibald who's fought for that and worked for it she's like the yeah, two of them so it's her first goal yeah and for Katie Archibald right? who's been very much a straight line athlete to go Scottish and, David Scottish Scottish, Scottish. Yes. she's Scottish yeah. but she mm. and with Laura Kenny so the responsibility you have when you're paired with Laura Kenny and, yeah. and so hats off to Katie Archibald for and Katie's she, Katie's yeah. frighteningly intelligent yeah, she's, she's a machine you know yeah. she's an incredible athlete you know and that was that was brilliant to watch Matt Walls in a similar fashion I, th- I thought the way he won his Omnium was I just, you know, he just seemed to know his positioning in every race. Can, was just can I can I reveal you know? again a little bit myself? I'd never heard of him. 
Okay, well, I think that's excusable because mm. you and I don't concentrate on the track. I mean, yeah. I kind of dimly heard of him. I didn't yeah. know he was that good. Yeah. I had no idea he was that good. Mm. Um, I actually, I kind of assumed that Clancy, had he not been... Yeah, yeah. by the way, can I just hat tip to Clancy mm. and his retirement? Uh, have you met Ed? Have you oh, ever I, met him, I've, Ed? No, yeah, I've met Ed. He said, like, there's... He's... He's... How would I put it? He's the, one of the gentlest, loveliest human beings i've ever met completely yeah completely and in any other in any other era yeah. of british olympic a- activity he would be a household name yeah and his and his you know his his image would be plastered mm. over the backs of cereal boxes and he'd be a, mm. he'd probably be presenting the olympics coverage for the yeah. bbc by now you know I, he he's a uh, yeah, uh, yeah sadly missed uh, he's an absolute legend yeah. um and then, and then, okay. So, hat tip to Ethan Hayter and Matt Walls again for getting the silver medal in the uh, in the the men's Madison with that late attack. I don't know if you saw any of that. That was insane. So I did see a bit of that, and you know what I loved about that? And this is kind of a bit of uh, I noticed their their luminous helmets. Yeah, that uh, was a bit of marginal gain. That was a bit of marginal gain because yeah. it was like again, it's yeah. like even when it was Brailsford run, they didn't do that because if yeah. you're in the chaos of a Madison and you're looking Why for not? a teammate. Yeah, You're, and there were quite a few kits. The French kit was quite similar. The yeah. Russian kit was quite similar, all with white helmets. Yeah, yeah it was. It was so um, they had the luminous yellow with a red stripe, and it was, so you would just glance around and you'd see it coming. And yeah. it was a, it was, and I, I loved that marginal game. But that's got, t- takes nothing away from their performance. But it was okay. You guys are not just doing BMX and mountain biking, and their bikes and everything, and their Lotus bikes. It was, they they. It was the first time I was started by that point, by the Madison. I was thinking, oh, British cycling has been doing something behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, Yeah. And been very quiet about it. No ego. And it was coming from all different levels. So at that point, it was quite fascinating. Yeah. 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 No, it was. It was, it was we hope, by the way, I'm hoping to get an interview with Ethan Hater on um, this podcast. Oh, that'd be good in the coming week or two because because his agent has just been. So, hey, we're that status now. We've got that st- that much status in the media landscape. Never strays far. That I unsolicited have been contacted by Ethan Hater's agent, huh. <laughs> saying, "Get him on the pod. Do you want him on the pod?" And so, we well, I think we should. I think you should because I am yeah. still trying to get my head around Ethan Hater because he wins summit finishes. Um, like he's like Fred Wright. Like, he's like well, the two Fred and Ethan are close friends. They grew up together at Velo Club Londres. Yeah. Same age, same same mm. same background entirely, and they've got a similarly kind of awesome yeah. range and repertoire. And everyone's and, so God knows what hate is going to end and up. And from like four or five, five years ago, when he was a junior, when I was looking after under twenty threes, everyone's like, check out Ethan Hater. And he was just a... Cr- you met him then, didn't you? Yeah, because yeah, I was looking after under twenty threes at the time, and he was a yeah. proper little kid. And they're like, wait to see Ethan Hater, because he could just do yeah. everything. And he's just gone yeah, quiet. And he's got a younger brother, Leo, by the way, who's really good. Younger brothers tend to kill it. It's the younger brothers yeah. that tend to Watch dominate. <laughs> Watch yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, well, that's true of the Pidcock family yeah. as well, by yeah. the way. No, no, no. It's just, um, it's basically 90% of the time, the younger brother will yeah. be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally, just to round off the, the notes I made about the track, um, I loved what Jason Kenny, who clearly is not the same sprinter that he was four years ago or eight mm. years ago or 20 years ago or whatever it was when he started. He's clearly not got the legs that he used to have. So he only had one way of winning that Kieran gold and it was to go <laughs> three laps out. And what I loved about it was he turned it, he turned 
this extraordinarily short event, the Kirin, into a, a stage of the Tour de France won by Matej Mohoric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he just, yeah, he just, he turned them into a disorganised chase group 40 kilometres out. So, so you know, I, I, I saw the, the so three cool. laps. So how did it happen? So the, the motorbike peeled off. And, then, and pretty much he went. Oh, really? So Three laps. So three laps, so it, sprint. So is it planned or is it? A- yeah, I think so. From the bits, I, I think he just said to his coach before, before they started, he said, why don't I just go like yeah. straight off? Something he'd never done before ever. Yeah. But he can't rely on out sprinting those guys any longer, you know, when it comes to it, wow. to the line. And you know what? One, just, one of the things. No was, one, no one, yeah. no one knew who's going to chase him. And you know what? Brilliant. The coolest thing about that, because I thought about this afterwards, the Kieran was born in Japan. And so to do the Olympics are in Tokyo. Jason Kenny, the defending Olympic champion, turns up there and he knows he can't win it. So he rips the rule book up and does something different in front of a Japanese yeah. audience. His value in Japan is now Ooh. insane. I'd never considered that. Oh, so you think he might have a nice nice couple of years? Oh, he's now, he's going to be the uh, most rock and roll uh, Kieran racer ever. Because Kieran racer... But Jason Kenny... And also, just just the audience, for our listening audience, yeah. uh, the majority of Kieran racers, uh, and there's not many, and through the last 20, 30 years, make more than professional cyclists. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. That's huge, isn't like it? Hundreds of thousands, now millions. And no, so, but is there yeah. any... David, is there any precedence for... If you like an Olympic Kieran rider going and because would I mean is there any guarantee that Jason Kenny could thrive in that environment? No, because what you, do you know the what the rules are? Because yeah, you have to declare your tactics, don't you? Yeah, also, but, so Jason, but you also have to turn up. You, really have to, you have to spend three weeks. It's basically lockdown. So you have to spend, yeah. I think, three weeks with no communication to anybody. So yeah, that's not going to sit well with no, Laura so you go and, 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 family, and you is it? do um, it's kind of sumo wrestling karate it's like kind of weird stuff yeah and you you live together and you're a commune and then when it comes to the race day you're interviewed it's kind of like big brother but not but because and then you have to say when you get to the race what your tactic will be i'm gonna go straight away every single time for the for the audience <laughs> so the racers don't know what oh, you're going to do. See. So it's kind of made for TV yeah. event almost. So you have to declare what you're going to do. That's so interesting. And so then, I... so everyone knows this, but because you're not allowed to communicate to the outside world, you then, right. you're like a big brother box and you declare and you've done this. So then when it comes to race day, everybody knows what you're going to do, but you have to gamble who can do it. I think that's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But, you know, it's so flamboyant. But Jason, you used the word, I think you used the word flamboyant. Jason Kenny is the least flamboyant human being I've ever met. So, you know what? I, he's like, <laughs> he, he's got like, he's probably a bit grumpy about winning the gold, you know. I mean, he's just, he's the most downcast. Do you want, do you want, to, uh, do you want an anecdote? So when yeah. I was in uh, Manchester, this, this is how long he's been doing this for. I used to train at Manchester Velodrome and do things. And I'd be in the corridor around. Yeah. And he'd, Often I bump into him in the gym or in the corridor, and, yeah. and I had to find a way to get around him because he was walking so slowly. Yeah, and it was I just it was just just so slow everywhere. Yeah, and I was like, if you're waiting for him in like anything, it, it, it everything was so slow behind Jason Kenny, <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, man, we got things to do. And it was like, it was that guy like at the filling, like trying to get his 
put his money in the machine or pay for a car park. And he'd just be there, super yeah. chilled out, no stress, trying to figure it out. That was Jason Kenny. It was just, <laughs> everything was just so slow. And I was like, oh, God. So, and I was like a road racer. Fast twitch. And it was yeah, the, I, and, fast twitch, and, and fast twitch guy. The irony was because I would race 200K three, three-week races. And the guy yeah. who was the fastest in the world of the small, dis, small distances was yeah. so slow for me. <laughs> Because I was just manic. <laughs> so that's Jason Kenny, and look where he is. They're now. an incredible couple. Yeah, they're an incredibly yeah. likable couple. Well, she I she 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 carried the flag, which I thought was a brilliant decision. Oh, that was she's she's yeah. great. Has she said that she's carrying on or anything? I don't know. So don't, so I, I don't know what I. I'm pretty sure you don't know this because um, and I think it's this is a total floating fact, and it's probably brilliant. in the modern world because my brilliant. wife was saying with this with great pride about laura kenny she yep. is the first um female athlete to win olympic gold medal after having a child maybe british i don't know what it is but my wife was very proud about this no and it might just be british athletes and it and it might just be cycling and it might just be cycling but whatever it was but my wife it's a fir- yeah it's a first of some uh, my wife took great that's... my wife took great pride in the fact seeing Laura Kenny Laura, Laura Kenny win and go yeah. you know what she had a child and she got a gold medal no that's it's, and it, it's she, possible she, 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 and she did it and she's so she's and a so huge brilliant. yeah she's a huge inspiration yeah yeah, yeah. and meanwhile back on the road david mm. vuelta a burgos Oh my! I didn't see any of it. I literally didn't see any of it. But you, you on our little, we have a little WhatsApp group, don't you? You, me, and um, Pretty Pete, your coach. He's my coach. That's a whole. And different. and you, and you, you um, you tweet when you tweet you WhatsApped a a, a a a a screenshot of the the final GC of Burgos, which had Landa as the winner, and thirty six seconds down in second place. Yeah, Fabio Aru. <laughs> what? I Fabio thought he'd retired. Aru. Yeah, it was like, I think that's right, yeah. isn't it? Was Fabio Aru second? He was second? I think he was. Yeah, yeah. I got it here on my phone. Let me look. I'll look through it right quite and, right now, and I can tell you exactly what the top 10 was, if you keep talking, Ned, for a little bit. Well, and then, but, so then I, some of the detail that I missed, because none of it was televised as far as I can make out. Roman Bardet won a stage. Brilliant. Um, and though Landa... Here like we go. Landa I got Aru. it. So, Mikko Landa in go first, on. Fabio Aru in second, second Mark Padun in third, Sivakov fourth, you're human. I mean, David how did Aru finish in second place on GC? How did that happen? No idea. Um, okay. Bardet, six. That's a little, he's, he's moving into older human. But then you got <laughs> Sebastian Reichenbach in 10th. Yeah. Jeffrey yeah. Bouchard in 9th. And this is getting kind of quite hipster to know these people. Yeah. But well, Bouchard, Bouchard is a hipster rider. And I, Bouchard was the king of the, king of the mountains at the Giro this year and did it in great style. And I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a kind of Freudian historical slip because in eighth place is Santiago Butrago, which sounds like. And you were thinking Botero. Santiago, But, uh, Santiago Botero. Yeah. So that's I, what you were thinking. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Kind of yeah. Retired about 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. My generation. So it was, it After was a, a very, very dubious career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kill me, bless him. Um, but it's uh, it was a very interesting top ten, and that's where Burgos slides. And I, to our listeners, and what's uh, the email address? H i w t y j at gmail dot com. And without looking at a map, and this is a proper honest thing, tell us where Burgos is in Spain. 
That's a great shout. I could do it. I know you can, but but I don't. I, yeah. I, any listeners listening to this, yeah. have yeah. a punt and tell us where yeah. Burgos is. And there are also yeah. quite another other quite a lot of other regions like that in Spain. That- Here, do you know um, the, a rider, a British rider, who for two years in 2019 and 2020 was riding for Burgos BH, Matt Gibson? Do you remember him? No, no, you don't, do you? Okay, he won the Tour Series last night mm. in Gisborough, <laughs> and um, I. I've known Matt ever since he was 17 when he won a, a, a tour series round in, in Peterborough in around about 2012 mm. or something like that. Mm. And, um, and I, said to, I said to Matt, I said, and I haven't seen him since he spent those two years with Borgos BH. I said, God, blimey, this must be a bit of a change from riding the, riding the Vuelta. And he looked at me and went, never raced the Vuelta. And I said, and I had this absolute certainty that he'd raced the Vuelta. So I went, no, you did. Uh, <laughs> you, you definitely did you forgot not, i literally wasn't selected and i said but i commentated for three weeks on you in the vuelta and he goes no no no, no i wasn't at the vuelta and then i grabbed the um the press officer from the tour series nick bull the journalist and i said nick did matt gibson ride the vuelta and he said yeah matt you definitely raced the vuelta <laughs> we, oh we were both God. absolutely convinced how so, could you forget so, that so yeah, we were like, Matt, it's just ridiculous. Have you ever, do you even know what you're doing? But I don't know, that was apropos of floating fact, but um, not much more than that. Yeah. But it brings us nicely onto the Vuelta, David, doesn't it? So where does it it's start? It's just our final where does little it start? wrap up thing. Starts at the weekend. No, but where does it start? Spain. You don't know, do um, you? Borg- <laughs> starts in Burgos. Starts in Burgos. <laughs> Look, starts in Burgos, can- I'm pretty sure. Wait. Wait, let me find out. I'm just minimising all sorts of windows on my screen, trying to get the... I sent you all this information. Wait, stage one. Borgos starts from the cathedral, starts at the cathedral in Borgos and finishes at the cathedral in Borgos. Um, it's a prologue. It's eight, a time trial. It's an eight kilometre time trial. It's not a prologue. It's too long for a... For a um, well, eight kilometres eight kilometers is just on the cusp. Yeah, but no, it's too long, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's too long. Whether it's on the cusp or not, it's too long. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so stage one. So the Burgos stage thing one. is like so working. There are two time, <laughs> David. There are two time trials: a short time trial at the beginning, and stage twenty-one is thank the Lord, not the Madrid sprint. Oh, what are they doing? Right, they're doing a thirty-three-kilometer time trial. Where finishing in Santiago de Compostela? Seriously? Yeah, that's, that's a bit good. unusual, isn't it? So that's cool. Well, it's and then not. It's not unusual because of- that was my last ever pro race in twenty fourteen. Time trial in Santiago Hostella. How, how did you get on? Horrifically bad. Matt Rendell made me cry. Oh, right. How did he do that? And the it's all over, Dave. Yeah. Did he insist on emotion? Yeah. yeah he kind <laughs> did of he? kept pushing. Then I, I didn't actually cry. So I looked back and I didn't actually cry by a little break and then just turned away from the camera, which was more emotional. Did you? Yeah. 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 Don't, Better. Better yeah, gesture. But yeah, so yeah. that's good. That's good. It's my favourite um, race so, of the year. And, and just so everyone knows, we're not commentating on it. Well, I think we let that cat out of the bag recently. That's, well, that's, I know, but it's just a but it, I mean, it frees us up to do, it does free me up to work on the Tour of Britain and, and to deliver the, the daily podcast, Never Strays Arthur. But um, <laughs> the, I just have to say it over and over again, so it Never kind of like sticks. Arthur. And also, I'm really looking forward to Vitor's artwork for Never Strays yeah, Arthur. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well, Vitor. And Vitor, I'm really looking music. forward to it. Vitor. Yeah. And Perry's music. 
Perry's British based oh, yeah. English based music. We're, li- we're looking so forward to that. That's Perry. Be... I'd be amazed they last this long in this podcast. Welshman Welshman Perry is going to have to do yeah. a Nevestray's Arthur English based madrigal <laughs> version of this. Um, but but no, David, um, say something about the Vuelta that's cogent and interesting. Uh, so the Vuelta, so Vuelta, Vuelta is the um... Roglic, Carapaz, Benar. No, I don't think uh, regards the the people that race it. Oh, okay. We're interested, but the Volta is the, the the bike racer's favourite Grand Tour because it's your place to secure your identity in the world of professional cycling or to reaffirm it. So people only go there to race and they don't have to deal with media. So the Volta has a very special place in the calendar. And yeah. so everyone that turns up, they're there and they're chilled out and they're quite in a nice place and they race and that's where you discover everybody. As we know, you, you yeah. everybody that we commentate in the Tour de France of, of recent, we saw for the first time in the Vuelta. That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. So the Vuelta's... Uh, yeah, that's so true. Including Pogaccia. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's the ultimate yeah. hipster race, Grand Tour. If you want to know what's going to happen in the Tour de France in two or three years, you watch the Vuelta. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where the kids get to, to have a go. On the other hand... And I can't, I can't say anything about this. Harry's going to win, isn't it? No, no, <laughs> Harry's not going to win. No, so um, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a big smash up between Jumbo Visma, who are monolithically behind Primoz Roglic, mm. who could win it three years in a row. Has anyone yeah. won it three years in a row? Probably. I don't know. I don't know whether anyone. Or probably, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know who has. Done I don't that. know why he um, want to. <laughs> but he but he might he might just do it but um the Ineos team is ridiculously strong because they're sending Carapaz and Bernal supported by Adam Yates and Tom Pidcock and Pavel Sivakov etc etc it's an Pidcock, incredible team Pidcock Pidcock would be so interesting to see his first Grand Tour oh. um but just just to sort of round things off and move on from the Vuelta come back to Nevestray's Arthur very soon I think you're going to find out who's going to be racing the Tour of Britain and it's really good. Like <laughs> oh. I know, but I can't tell you. I know, so it's really good. Tips like this, yeah. little hints. No, I can't because I just you embargoed. Know, you can throw some names out on the Zoom call. I can just do some facial uh, things. But Van der Poel is he's in the Volta? Well, well, Van Poel. Well, well, Van Poel. I always say that. What about um, uh, Mark Cavendish? Um, there's no, Ned's face is not changing. Uh, what about a death match between, uh, Jakobsen, Fabio, Fabio Jakobsen, um, Dylan, what was the, the Dutch rider who, well, I'll say his name, but uh, again, with no inflection whatsoever, Grunewagen, 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 Jakobsen, Cavendish, Again, embargo um, face. No, I can't see anything. I can't see anything happening. No, there. not a flicker, mate. Brilliant. Um, so I'll uh, I'll tell you once we stop recording. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I'd better get editing this because we need to pump it out there for the people. They can listen to some of them tonight and some of them in the morning, David. Oh, uh, yeah. Just it's super long, by the way. This podcast is <laughs> about long. an hour and a half long now. So we should maybe stop talking. Bye. <laughs> okay, just like that. He was gone. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.